But I would ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the second chapter of the New Testament book of Ephesians as we are continuing in a verse-by-verse sermon series simply called Text Messages. And we've already seen the fact that Paul is writing this letter to Gentiles, this church in Ephesus, and these are Gentiles. They are not Jewish people. These are people who are outside of the, the Jewish camp, okay? And, and we need to start there to be able to really understand what the Lord's teaching us this morning. Although the Gentiles at this time were a much higher population in the entire world than the Jewish people, the Jews through history really, really mistreated the Gentiles. Now, the Jews knew that they were God's chosen people, and they knew that the Gentiles were not. And so religiously, the Jews would treat the Gentiles in whatever area they were. They would treat them really bad. Historically, the Gentiles have been terribly mistreated, oppressed, segregated, alienated, from, from the kingdom of God strictly because of the action of the Jews of that, of that day. Now, the Jewish people had a mindset that, that the coming Messiah and the blessings of God Almighty, that this was only for them. It was only for the Jewish people. God never intended to, to have a covenant people but for them to view themselves as having the corner on the market of, of salvation. They, they were not to think of themselves as the only ones and hoard everything to themselves. God never intended that. The Jews wanted and accepted the divine blessing of God, but they did not accept the mission or the decree of God. And I want you to see this. Follow me. We're in Isaiah chapter 42. I'm in verse number six. And we read this. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant and make you to be a covenant for the people and a, watch this, a light for the Gentiles. What God is saying is he is saying for the Jews, he's calling the Jewish people to be righteous and to live according to his plan that he has spelled out and to be stewards of the covenant, and this is very important, and to be a light to the nations. That's their job. But the Jews hated the Gentiles. This, this is how bad the Jews would hate the non-Jews. So there's two major hubs in this area, modern-day Israel. There's two major hubs where the Jewish people would live. One is in the Southern Territory, this is Judea, and then you've got a Northern Territory called Galilee. And in between them is a territory called Samaria. So the easiest way to get to Galilee from Judea is to walk straight through Samaria. But the Samaritans are people that, okay, so they would literally call them half-breeds, OK? 
Okay? They would look down on them a lot. Back in the history of the Samaritans, their families who were from uh, Israelite families, they had intermarried with Gentiles. And so the Jews who are, they would say, full-blooded Jews, straight from the line of, of one of the 12 tribes, they hated the Samaritans. And they hated anyone who was not strictly Jewish. Here's the thing. They would never walk straight through Samaria to get to Galilee. Wouldn't do it. They would take a three-day journey all the way out across the Jordan River and then hike up so they didn't have to touch Samaria. And then they would, then they would drop into Galilee. Purposefully going out of their way, adding time to their trip so that they could stay away from the people who they hate. That was their mindset at the time. The Jews would call the Gentiles, and this is a derogatory term in, in their day, they would call them the uncircumcision. It was telling anyone else that if you are not one of the Jewish people in this day, you are an outsider. Imagine if the Jewish people, look at the Samaritans, that have a little bit of family ties going back generations in their blood. Imagine how they treated people who had zero family ties in their bloodline. And it's sad to say that unfortunately this still sometimes happens in our day and age. It really does. The hatred was so bad between the Jews and the Gentiles that many of the Jews thought that the Gentiles were only good for one thing. Literally, this is what they would say. The only thing the Gentiles are good for is to stoke the fires of hell. Can you imagine that? That's how deep the hatred was. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that the Jews were the only ones who were fighting this culture war. They weren't. The Gentiles were also fighting this culture war. See, the Jews mainly lived in the area of Palestine, modern-day Israel area today, okay? That's where they mainly lived, but they didn't, they didn't have ownership of their own land. They felt discriminated against because of the Gentiles. Their entire area was ruled by the Romans now. So if you can imagine, here are the Jews living here, but those rulers over them are the Roman soldiers. They're not Jewish people. Those are Gentiles. This is, a, this is hatred, like they're being held down. And I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this, church, this letter to the church in Ephesus, and these people who he is writing to, these are Gentiles. These are Gentiles, however, who have come to Christ. They have heard the gospel, and they have come to Christ. But it would be fair to say that our life, after we come to Christ, should be much different from our life before Christ. Amen? There must be a change. And Paul is writing knowing that this audience that he is writing to has changed. But I want you to see what Paul says. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 21. This, this he actually is writing to another church, almost the same situation, the church in Colossae. He says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind, 
because of the evil behavior that you had done. So we have established that the Gentiles were separated from God because of their behavior, because of their sinful lifestyles, and we've also established that the Jewish people wanted absolutely nothing to do with the Gentiles. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm in verse number 1. Paul writes this, Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise and without hope and without God in the world. Paul uses that derogatory term of uncircumcised because they get it. They know what he's talking about. When God made the covenant with the Israelites, when they were out in the, in the, in the desert, he made this covenant. His chosen people, they know it. But Paul in this letter, he is, he's recognizing and he's teaching us something else about the Gentiles and the Jews here. He is saying to the Gentiles, there was a time when you were separated from Christ, when you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, when you were, you were foreigners to the covenant. You weren't part of the in crowd. You weren't part of the religious elite. You were without hope. You are without God. You want to know where our hope comes from? Our hope comes from Jesus Christ, amen? Imagine a world where people purposefully withhold the name of Jesus from you or from anyone. And remember that Isaiah said that the Jews were, were to be a light to the Gentiles. They weren't being a light. They weren't at all. This is so important. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you maybe joining us for the first time, on the back of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those fill-in-the-blanks. They're going to be up on the big screen behind me as well. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Deliberately rejecting others from the body of Christ limits their hope. Deliberately rejecting others from the body of Christ limits their hope hope. And I really hate to say this, but we have to recognize that there are pockets in the Christian world here in America and worldwide who purposefully reject other people from the body of Christ. And when we do that, when we reject others from the body of Christ, Paul says that we're discriminating against others. We're holding back the message of the gospel. And what we're doing is we're putting other people at risk of these losses, of being separated from Christ. We're putting people at risk of, of continuing to be foreigners of the promise, of continuing to live without God. We are putting people in a position to live without hope. That's not Christian. I'm gonna tell you a story from my high school days and it's not a story that I'm too terribly proud of. So for all four years in high school, one of my electives was choir. I enjoyed singing, I was in the choir all the time. And by my third year, one of the other guys in choir, there was only three or four of us, Alex and I had become pretty good friends and we kind of ruled the baritone section. But in year number three, a new kid joined us. 
Now, I knew this kid from another one of my classes, and I really didn't like him. Didn't like Sean Woods, but he joined us in choir. And Alex and I, not too proud of it, but we made things really hard on, on Sean. No joke, I'm sure he hated coming to class. We would say things under our breath, just loud enough for him to hear it, right? So he's, he's just terribly uncomfortable. And this went on and on and on. And he's just, he, he's just like us. He was just a, a, a typical American white kid from the, from the same city who enjoyed singing. And he could sing well. He was a good baritone too. But what we did is we separated, we alienated him until one day I said something just like I normally was doing and that was it. And Sean snapped, got up out of his chair, come and stood right in front of me and he clocked me right in the face. Really did. Here's what happened. The next semester, Sean didn't come back to choir. As a matter of fact, he never did. We deliberately rejected him and looking back now, what we alienated him from was all of the blessings that we enjoyed in being part of this group. We got a chance to go on field trips to different schools, be part of larger choirs. We had an opportunity to hone our skills and, and, and he didn't do any of that. Because we rejected him, because we, we discriminated against him, he lost out on something that that was good for him, he lost out on a lot. And it was because of, of us. It was because of myself and, and Alex in that situation. And I wonder if we ever do that, though, as Christians. I wonder if we ever do that as a church. I can tell you there are churches that do, that, that will alienate and will discriminate. Our society is so broken right now. We're full of broken people. We're full of broken relationships. We're, we're full of relationships that operate outside of God's design for relationships, but, but we're, we're just, we're full though of building walls. We seem to be pretty good at building walls. In this church service right now, there are four or five different nationalities in here. Four or five different backgrounds. I promise you, there's at least three different colors in here right now, maybe more than that. There's a diverse church here. There's people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. There are people who are in the verge of homelessness. There are people who do know where they're going to sleep at tonight. There are people in all kinds of different categories here in this church. And that's not to mention any of the delicate worldly topics that, 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 that shine lights on some groups or cultures within our American life right now. Cultures that speak very, very loudly on the national stage but have been discriminated against by the church. And I want you to see what Paul says to the Gentiles who have been discriminated against. Come back with me, I'm in Ephesians chapter two, I'm in verse number 13, Paul writes this. But now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh with the law, with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. And through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's Paul's words to a very discriminated group. Paul's talking to two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews at, this, at that time. And he's saying Christ has made these two groups one group. But let's bring that into 2022 for a moment. It isn't Jews and Gentiles in our world. This is about people, people who God made in his image who are different from you. This is about them. You know the people who you refer to as them? Yeah, this is about them. What Paul would be saying right now is that the Protestant white American church who seem to think that they have a corner market on Christianity, you don't have the corner market on Christianity. What Paul is saying is remember, the Jews, Christians, were designed to be a light to the nations, a light to the world. Jesus himself has made thousands of groups. He is bringing people together as one. He is breaking down these walls of hostility. This is point number two in your notes this morning. Only Christ can heal the wounds in our society. Only Christ can heal the wounds in our society. Our nation is at a crescendo moment right now. There's a lot of tension going on in America. Ferguson, think George Floyd, think Charlottesville. All of these fights are caused by division. And it's showing the wounds in our society. Christians, let me tell you that only Jesus can heal these wounds. We can't do this on our own. Look at, look at what we do. Look at what we do on our own. Just look at the newspaper. That's what we do on our own. There are groups in our society who have been treated terribly by Christians. But make no, make no mistake about this. There are Christians who have been treated miserably by other groups in our society. I get that. But Christians, this is important for you to know. The groups that mistreat you, they don't have a commission from Jesus Christ. You do. We have a commission from Jesus Christ. Is that why we're different? Yeah, that's why we're different. 
Christians, your job is to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, to be a light to all people. But how come when we get around certain groups, we, we, we turn, we turn the, the light off or, or we, we exclude ourselves and, and the promise of, of God? We all have a command from Christ. This is what John writes in John chapter 13, verse number 35. This is John writing, quoting Jesus, saying this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, John did not use the 21st century definition of love. He didn't use our modern day changed definition. He's quoting Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you're going, you are to love people with the love that God created under, under God's authority. And Jesus himself is saying to recognize his love and to love one another. Here's another scripture. I'm in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 20. We read this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister as a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have not seen cannot love God who they have not seen. How can you love God but hate your brother or sister in Christ, or really anyone for that matter? How can we stand up? and say, yeah, I love God. I'm shining God's love, but we're full of hatred. You know what that does? That promotes and that extends a very godless society. When Christians hate, when Christians discriminate, when Christians alienate, it leaves others with no optimism. It leaves others with no hope. Trust me when I tell you that there are people who have visited church after church after church because they're looking for a church that will accept them or at least one that won't make them feel uncomfortable. Everyone is welcome to walk in the doors at Paris Valley Church, but there is an expectation at Paris Valley Church that when you walk out the doors, you walk out willing and working on growing closer to Christ and deeper in your faith walk and God's plan for your life. Not your plan for your life, God's plan for your life. And if we are, if we are continually living in, in a sinful situation, we're not living in God's plan for our life, we're living in our plan for our life. But why still does the church discriminate though? This phenomenon has led to what we see as the universalist church that masquerades itself as a Christian church. It will fly all colors that it can. It will say everyone is, is welcome and affirmed and whatever your beliefs are, you bring them into the door and we're going to come together. We're going to sing some songs to a sky fairy and then we're all going to go home kind of happy as, as if we just, you know, all got together and we went to church. That is not a church that anyone should be attempting. That is a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's not where the gospel lives. 
I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. Paul writes this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Remember who Paul's writing to? He's writing to Gentiles. And he's telling them, he is standing up with the authority and he's, he's speaking for the Jewish people and he's telling the Gentiles that you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers, but now you are citizens of the family of God. You are members of the household. It's important that we recognize that what Christ did, he didn't simply do it to offer this salvation to the Jews. He also died to offer this salvation to the Gentiles, which is you and I. Anyone who was born or conceived in the image of God is made by God, is loved by God, and is to have the opportunity to come into the family of God. Amen? Amen? Here's the third point in your notes this morning. Belief in Christ always results in becoming family. Whenever anyone puts their faith in Christ, you just gained a brother or a sister. Isn't that amazing? I don't know who they are. I don't know where they are. But they are family. See, the Gentiles, they were, they were pagans. They, they came out of this very worldly lifestyle that accepted them as whatever they are. They served hundreds of different gods, lowercase g. And, and, and one by one, these lowercase g gods would fail them and they would worship idol after idol after idol and one by one would tumble and break down and leave people hopeless. In our nation, we've seen many times stories of mass shootings, especially we're seeing these shootings in our schools and unfortunately they're becoming all too common. That sometimes it doesn't even make breaking news anymore. It doesn't even break into normal programming anymore. But there's a running thread about the suspects in these shootings. We're seeing students who have been expelled from school. We are seeing young men who have been turned down from romantic relationships. And and we're, we're seeing suspects, murderers, who have been treated as outcasts from society. Many have had difficulty making friends. Many of them have been bullied or are a bully. Psychiatrists are, are saying that these shooters, many of them have lost purpose in life. Many of them don't know exactly why they are here on earth. They are living in a society with no hope. These are consequences of a godless society when we lose hope, when we don't have any direction, when we can't find our purpose, when 
when there's nobody there, when we are pushed to the outside, what it does when doors close, when the church closes its door, it opens up people's hearts to open up now and allow anything in. And that opens the doors for demons and for Satan to take over. Because somebody else closed the doors. Now, none of this is justification for any of the murderous ways of any of these shooters. It's not justification of sins at all. But I can tell you one thing, that there is a trend that we don't see in shooters in our country. We don't see a background of mostly young men who have spent every Sunday at church. We don't see a background of shooters who are devoted to reading their Bible every day. We are not seeing a, a group of, of shooters that psychologists are studying. We are not seeing that group that is members of a small group that bring them in and hold them accountable. That's not part right now of the, the profile. As a matter of fact, the profile of mass shooters is godless. It's a profile with no hope. People who have no hope. We were not created to live in a godless society. We were created to operate as a family, not on our own, not by ourselves, not in a, a world that we create. Remember, anything that man touches is tainted with sin. So we are not meant to live in groups solely made by man. No, we're meant to come together as a, as a family. But when we start to look at our society and, and we see it crumbling apart, we see this utopia that we've created of how society should be. We, we, we have that in, in our minds. What happens is we start to blame people we start to blame them. We start to blame people who honestly are just like us. And that builds an animosity in our hearts. And it just plants that seed of division. In the Old Testament book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, God told him to go to Nineveh and tell the Ninevites that they better straighten up or God's going to destroy them. Now, Jonah hates the Ninevites, hates them so much that he runs away. He's like, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. So he heads to the coast to get on a boat. He's going to sail as far away as he can. God found him. Jonah finds himself in the belly of a fish, just bitter. He's just mad. And this fish spits him up. Someone's like, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll go and tell them. Same message. Jonah, now go tell the Ninevites to straighten up or else I'm going to destroy them. Now, let me ask you, which one of those two options do you think that Jonah wants? Jonah wants them destroyed. He hates them. 
Okay, keep that in mind as we move forward. So Jonah does. He goes to Nineveh and he delivers God's message. He tells them, God says, if you don't straighten up, you're going to be destroyed. I can only assume that Jonah's like, ha yeah, tick, 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 you're almost gone. You got a couple of days left. You know what happens? The Ninevites actually straighten up. And Jonah is so mad. He is so mad now because them, the people that he hates, there is a chance for God to totally destroy them. And he didn't. And now he is so angry. And then God asks Jonah, he says, he says, is it right for you to be this angry and know that I am now among the people that you hate? Oh, Jonah was mad. As Christians, we have to discern our differences. We have to discern and we need to be able to draw a line as what, what is allowed into our, our family structure. But if we, if we don't go to Nineveh, then, then we're holding the same grudges as, as Jonah did. If we don't go to Nineveh, they won't know. And it doesn't matter who they are, your job is to go. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. You have a job to do. It's called the Great Commission. You are given this job. Christians are commanded to tell other people about Christ. Christ did not give you a list of people to go and talk to. And he did not give you a checkbox list that tells you these are the people that you can withhold the gospel from. You don't have a list like that. Jesus says, go make disciples. In our world, that means go to all groups, to all cultures, to all people. One more verse from Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse number 17. Isaiah writes this, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. This is so important. Here's the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. Respect for all people is not a suggestion. It is a command. I want to give you something else to think about. There is a difference between like and love. At Paris Valley Church, we operate under God's definition of love. Not a worldly definition, God's definition of love. And we are told to love as God's, God loves, but we are never told that we have to like the actions of those who we love. We are never told that we have to agree with the people who we are told to love. We are never told that we, that we have to like everything about the group of people that God is sending us to. If your job 
is to serve strawberry ice cream to everyone in the restaurant. You don't have to like strawberry ice cream to serve it to everyone. Amen? That's our job, is to love people. You don't have to like first. We love like God loves. Amen? Finally, the final words from Jesus this morning, Matthew 25, verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. At Paris Valley Church, we don't... Okay, sound team? Thank you. At Paris Valley Church, we don't fly any flags here. But we don't close our doors either. We don't exclude anyone from attending because if we did, we are withholding hope. We are withholding the ability for somebody else to grow closer to Christ. Not man-made idea of Christ, no. God Almighty who presents himself in the Bible. You've heard me say this before. You cannot grow closer to Christ and closer to this world at the same time. You cannot become a better Christian and a better sinner at the same time. Something has to give, but it's not going to give at the door of this church. You can come in. We are all here to grow closer to Jesus Christ. What happens, what happens when people are pushed away from being able to learn the truth about Jesus is that what happens is people start to create their own look of Jesus in their mind. Groups start to, to create an, a, a, a caricature or an avatar of this is what Jesus is like. And, and, they, and they start to, to take a, a holy, perfect Savior and turn him into a sinner, just like us. Jesus wasn't just like us. Sometimes people, because they are pushed to the outside, they are discriminated against, aren't even allowed to come into the church and grow closer to Christ. It's as if the church is saying, I know you've got a wounded soul, but you can't bring it into this hospital. No. Only people like us can bring their wounded souls into this hospital. What if the actual hospital did that to us? This church is a hospital for souls. We come before God Almighty here to have our lives changed by God. We're not here to tell people that they can't come. We're not here to ridicule. We're not here to stop people at the border. We are not here to make people feel unwelcome. Now, His words, the words of Jesus might make you feel uncomfortable, but they're not going to make you feel unwelcome. The words you hear from this pulpit may make you feel uncomfortable, but I pray they never make you feel unwelcome. 
at Paris Valley Church. I pray that no one ever feels unwelcome because we are all growing. We are not to be who we are now. Everyone here now is here as we are now. We're not going to be this same person a year from now. Everyone needs to grow. You might feel uncomfortable here. I pray. I do pray that the words of Scripture pierce your heart every week and bring that uncomfortability because we're trying to put Jesus and sin in the same heart. We're all trying to do that. It doesn't work that way. Uncomfortable? Yeah. Unwelcome? Not here. Will you pray with me?